he in there? And he starts off and he, and he says, above him, verse 2, were seraphs or seraphim, some of your translations, that's, that is one type of category of angel, each with six, six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So, so he, he's, he's put in this position and he sees the throne of God and, and some of God's glory, and then he sees there's these angels that are hovering around God, <coughs> and he, he begins <coughs> to, to describe them. And he said, first thing he noticed was that they had six wings, and two, with two of their wings, they're covering their eyes. And so you're saying, well, what's going on there, you know? Well, I think there's an indication in Scripture, and, and, and one area where this is indicated, I think we'll go back to... Uh, to actually Moses. Now, let me give you a little background to, to that verse, to that statement there. <coughs> this, Moses has, and you know the history of Moses. Here he was, you know, in, in, in God's uh, divine sovereignty as he protected Moses. Moses should have been killed as a baby, but instead he ends up being in the Pharaoh's home. The world leader, the world leader, he grows up in that household. And so he, he is in a, just by basis of being adopted in Pharaoh's family, He's a, he has a prestige and power, and, and so he reached this, uh, this as a young man, and he, starts, he realizes his, his people are actually the Israelites, <clears throat> and they're going through tough times, and so he kind of figures, I got all this power, position, I'm a smart guy, I'm the guy to deliver these people from the suppression that, that they're under, and, and so he goes after, and if you remember, it, it falls apart, we were talking about earlier in, uh, in early service, I'm sure... <laughs> Dr. Margie's has those experiences I have too where I, you know, I thought, oh, I know what needs to be done. And <clears throat> I head that direction and it's like, should ask God because that's not the way he wanted it done. And so that's what Moses did. And if you remember, it fell apart. It was terrible. And, th- and then Moses has to actually, <clears throat> instead of protecting his people, he has to flee for his life. And so God takes him and he, and he puts him in school. He spends 40 years out in the desert in the wilderness in school. And, and so here's Moses, and, and one day, you remember the story, because if you went to Sunday school, you heard the story. One day, he's out with the sheep, <clears throat> and he sees this bush, and it's on fire, which is not a unique, because they do have these lightning storms, and it'll catch things on fire, uh, but what was <clears throat> unique was <clears throat> the fire, the, burn, the bush didn't burn, didn't burn up, <clears throat> it just kept fire, fire, but, but it didn't go. And so he thought, I need, I need to check this out. So, so, Mo, so Mo, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm totally on the wrong story. Hold that thought. I'm going to come back to that one. Because this statement shows up. We're, we're in a different scenario here. And, and I'm going to mess my slides up if I don't go the right way. We're going to come back to the other one. But this takes place, remember? So Moses, uh, he sent back to the people and he delivers them. They get out of Egypt under, on, because of God using Moses. They've been out in the wilderness, and then there comes this day, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai, and God says to Moses, all right, stop here, and, and I want you to come up on the mountain because I want to give you <coughs> some instructions for my people. <coughs> and up on Mount Sinai, he gives them the law. In fact, if you remember, he said, told Moses, instruct the people not to even <laughs> touch the mountain because the glory of God's going to descend this, <coughs> I'm sorry, this mountain. And so... Moses goes up there in an extended period of time. And, and so he's in these, he, God's up, glory is all around him. And, and remember, God, God puts together all these tablets that have the, the laws on them. And Moses carries them down. And they, he sees what the people have done and destroys them, has to redo them. But all that time, <coughs> Moses spends 
in the presence of the glory of God. And I think, I, this is my interpretation, I think Moses got to that point where familiarity bred carelessness. Because he comes to a point where he kind of says, or he does say, to God, show me your glory. I want to see you face to face. You know, come down here, God, face to face, mano a mano. Let's, let's, I want, and he has no clue what he is asking. But he's become familiar. He's heard his voice. He, they've been, you know, been in this process, seen aspects of his glory. And he, he gets to this point where he has this nonchalantness about God and, and feels like he has the right to say, show me your glory. Well, God sets him straight. Because God's answer to that, somewhere in here, there it is. Oh, went too far, or went the wrong way. God's answer is, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. God says, Moses, you know what you're asking. If I were to show you my face, which is what Moses is asking, You'll pay for that with your life. You're going to die. But God does something. He says, but here's what I will do. And, and you can check it out later if you want to in, in Exodus 33. Here's what I will do. He takes Moses and he puts him down in this crag, in this rock crag, down in this, this place where he's, hit, he's got rocks on both sides of him. And then he takes his hand and he puts it over the top of Moses and he says, Moses, what I'm going to do is, I, with my hand and those rocks protecting you, I'm going to walk past you. I am not going to allow you to see my face. I will allow you to see the glory of my backside. What seeps down through those cracks is what I will allow you to see. But that's all you're going to see. As, we, as we, we've been working through, a lot of, of part of the processing of this whole message series is a book that we, I've recommended, uh, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, which is, is a Christian classic. And, and when I say that, I know sometimes you think, oh, that's hard reading. It really is not, but just uh, Sproul did a wonderful job. And, and so we're actually working through his lectures on that in, on the Wednesday night uh, uh, men's study. Cody is leading that for us. And, and uh, you know, so we talked about that. And, and I don't remember if it was Mark Steins, who's always into, you know, things that have to do with the eyes, uh, or R.C. Sproul, but... but uh, we got talking, and I think, I think Mark said, you know, what is taking place here is Moses actually only got to see a, re, a, a reflection of a refraction of God's glory. That's all, that he could, that's all that he could see and survive. But, but listen, this is impressive. So you think about, okay, Moses got whatever, whatever managed to work its way down through the cracks of that rock is what he got to see of the glory of God. Let me read to you from the next chapter, chapter 34. So Moses is coming, coming down off of this mountain now, and here's what it says. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses... His face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. Just because a refraction of the reflection of the backside of God's glory seeped through those cracks and 
Moses saw that. As he comes down off this mountain, his face is glowing. In fact, so much so that you talk about being fearful. The, the people seeing a refraction of the reflection of a refraction, I don't know. They, they basically say, Moses, you've got to cover your faith. We can't stand what the, the brilliance of God's glory that's shining through you. Isn't that an amazing thing? And, and, and that's the God that we often get nonchalant about. No big deal. What we do on Sunday. An amazing thing. So Isaiah goes on. After that, he said that he saw the two wings that covered their faces, and then they had two wings that covered their feet. So again, you've got to ask the question, because nothing is put in the Word of God by coincidence or accident. It's always by design of God. There's something he wants us to know. And, and so as he had Isaiah record this moment in in his life, that changed his life. He wanted to make sure that, that we noticed what he noticed, and that is that two of those six wings now are also covering his feet. So what is that about? Well, now we go back to, to what I wanted, to, what I started into last year, or a moment ago. Was So Moses is out in the wilderness. He sees this burn bush, and, and it's unusual because it doesn't burn up. So i got to check this out. So he starts heading towards this bush, and as he gets close to it, God says, stop. Don't come any closer. Why? Because something has taken place. God's not in that bush. But that bush, there is, there's a radiance of God's glory there. And in, just because of that, what has happened to the ground around that bush is it has become Holy ground. And so God is warning Moses, don't come any closer. You are about to step onto holy ground. And he says, you've got to take your sandals off because your sandals have walked on regular dirt. And that cannot touch on holy ground. Take your sandals off before you come any closer. What an amazing thing. And so we go back to these angels who, who are in the... And this is amazing. They're in the presence of God all the time. They know and experience God's glory and His holiness in a way that we don't even comprehend at this point. We will someday because the Bible says every person every, that ever walked the face of the earth at someday will stand before God. And all of us, when that moment comes, will drop to our knees which is the common response to coming in contact in the, to the holiness of God. But the angels who are constantly in his presence, who would, you would think if, if familiarity breeds carelessness, they should be the most careless of them all, but they, they are not. They can't possibly be, as they stay in the presence of God's holiness, it has caused them to not... not become careless, become even more intense. And so even uh, they who are pure, they don't have sin that we have in our life, their attitude towards God is, I will not look upon him and I cover my feet because we're in the presence of holy ground. We become so nonchalant about things that are so huge. Back in 1642, 
I won't ask you for a test on that date, but in 6042, a man by the name of Louis became king of the, king, Louis Fourteenth became king of the French. King Louis uh, also, he, he, was some, he was called the, the Sun King or Great King Louis, uh, King Louis the Great. And, so, and he, had, he actually reigned, you know, here we talk about Uzziah who reigned for 52 years. King, King Louis actually reigned for 72 years. Uh, and, and back in those days, the assumption was that if you were the king, there was de- uh, uh, deity involved. Someone as far as to claim some deity themselves. And, uh, but at the very least, you know, you're divinely appointed to that position, which actually is biblical in, in many respects. So, so here it is, and, and uh, Louis B. is king. And so these 72 years, he, he, does, you know, he does a pretty good job. People admire him. He's good for, for the people. And, but, you know, he's getting old in age. And near the end of his life, as he got older, a man by the name of Macellan, a Jean-Baptiste Macellan, Came, he was a, a priest, a, uh, a pastor, and he became very famous. He was very good with words, and so he got assigned to uh, what's called the famous Oratorian uh, Seminary in, in, uh, in Paris, I believe it was, which is where, where King Louis was. And, and so he was assigned there, and, and because he was so good with his words, he was assigned to be the, he was the president of that college for one thing, but he was assigned to be the individual when dignitaries would pass away, he had to do their funeral. And so not long after he got into that position, uh, King Louis passed away. And so Maximilian was asked, Jean was asked to, or told that he would be doing the funeral. And so he made the arrangements and really very unusual because the way he set it up was as people walked into the famous cathedral, uh, very different than any funeral there ever before, but as you walked in, the whole cathedral was in complete darkness with the exception of King Lewis's casket, which was a gold, golden casket, and on top of that casket was one candle. So you'd walk in and all of your attention would be drawn to this gold casket representing this, this man who many looked at as, almost, as a deity, as a god, who had ruled them for seven decades. And, and, and so your attention... And so that's what folks thought. Oh, man, this is brilliant. This priest has has made, a, made us direct our attention at this very uh, high individual of nobility, and he's caused us all to say, hey, this, this was a great man. And, and so that's what they're thinking. And so then the priest walks up behind the casket when it's time for the service to stop, and he walks around behind it, and he reaches up, and he snuffs out that candle. And the cathedral goes into hushed, dark silence. And then out of that silence, Jean says these words, Only God is great. This is the message of Isaiah. Only God is awesome. Only God is holy. The angels recognize that, and they do not get careless with the holiness of God. But let me bring this home. When I was 13 or 14 years old, our family took a trip. And on the trip, one, I remember one time we stopped for gas, and, and uh, you know, Dad's out gas in the car, and 
we all head in. They have this little store, and we're, so we're in kind of looking around the store. And, and uh, you know, there I came to this section uh, as a 13-year-old boy, a 13 or 14-year-old boy, uh, where there's these magazines that uh, attract my attention. And I remember knowing I, I shouldn't go over and look at those, but pretty soon I found myself looking, standing in front of them. And, and I kind of did this looking around, which should have told me something right there, uh, but it didn't. And so finally, thinking it's safe, I reach up and I flip the page. And as soon as I flip that page, I remember sensing that somebody is looking at me, and I look, and my dad is standing right behind me. I remember flipping it shut. And, but here's the interesting thing. We had a conversation, as you can expect. But, you know, there are so many directions that my dad could have gone in that conversation. He could have said things like, you know, Paul, that's so destructive, it'll destroy your perspective of the opposite sex and what God has in mind for that. Uh, it, it'll suck you in and, 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 and it can destroy you. He could have gone so many directions, but here's what he said to me. Paul, do you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Holy God lives in you. Everywhere you walk is holy ground. Everything you look at, you make a holy God look at with you. Everything you listen to, God who lives inside of you has to be a part of that. Think about that, son. Think about that before you make decisions in the days ahead that are going to come. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, holy God has made you his temple. And that's not a little thing. We're going to explore this topic in the weeks ahead and try to do a semblance of justice to what having a holy God live in us should mean to each of us individually. But today, let's pray. Father, we started. Thank you for in your sovereignty, knowing that we were going to need to look at this eyewitness testimony of one individual who came face to face with your holiness, your glory, and the impact it made on him that day and in the days ahead. It's so easy for us to become careless with things that we become familiar with. And Lord, this is certainly one of those. This, this area of holiness is certainly something that in the body of Christ today has lost its significance, its meaning. We often take it so lightly. Work in our hearts. Use this as a time where we can regroup and have a better understanding of what this means <coughs> for each one of us individually as your temple. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The sermon, awesome, uh, fantastic.
We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing Everyone sing Everyone sing Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory The earth is filled with His glory We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing And everyone sings Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. Rising up all around is the anthem of the Lord's renown. It's rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. It's rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown is rising up the Lord's round. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. Together we sing. Everyone sings. Holy is the Lord. is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord. The earth is filled with His glory. 